Welcome to the Startup Smarter Podcast, the best audio show for people who are ready to turn their big ideas into big income. Each week, we explore effective business strategies, guest interviews, and success stories that will help transform the hard grind of starting a business into a smarter and more scalable experience. Here's your host, Joe Johnson. Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Smarter Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Johnson. And on today's podcast, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Mr. Stacy Giulianti from the award-winning insurance company, Florida Peninsula Insurance. But first, it's time for listener shout outs. Each week, we'll select a random review and read it on the show. Then we'll take those names and enter them into a drawing to win a special prize. That being said, this week's shout out goes out to Bearcat, who writes, incredible podcast. This is definitely one of the top marketing podcasts on iTunes, and I highly recommend it to anyone. Well, thank you, Bearcat. And I have to say, I love the name. I really appreciate you taking the time to leave feedback for the show. And just like that, you've been entered in for a chance to receive the special prize at the end of the month. Now, if you would like for me to read what you write on the air, go ahead and head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave your review. That's all you have to do. Now, today's episode is more about a traditional startup business where you have an idea, you validate it through pitching investors, you raise money, get customers, and then you're finally in business. And in some of the messages that I've received, you've mentioned that you wanted me to feature a story like this. Well, I'm pleased to announce that today is that day. My friend Stacy is going to walk us through how he went from having drinks with his buddy and scratching out a business idea on the back of a cocktail napkin and turning that plan into a $300 million business. So if you want to hear that story, stay tuned because you're about to hear how it all went down. Stacy, welcome to the show. Joe, thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan. Awesome. Thank you. So give us the background on Florida Peninsula Insurance and what type of service you guys provide over there. Absolutely. We started Florida Peninsula Insurance Company in about 2005. It took us a couple of years before that to work on it. We are a homeowner's insurance company. So uh, anything that has to do with property insurance, residential apartment, uh, renter's insurance, condo unit insurance, or good old fashioned homeowner's insurance in case you have a fire or a hurricane or or somebody slips and falls uh, when they bring you the pizza that you ordered. Any of that, that's what we cover. We're kind of like a smaller version of an Allstate or a State Farm. We're not an agency. We're actually the carrier. And that's what we started up uh, about 15 years ago now. Ah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So we were talking offline before we started, and you mentioned that there's a big distinction between an insurance agency and an insurance carrier, which is what Florida Peninsula is. So for the people in the audience, can you explain what the differences are? Absolutely. That's a great question. An agency is like a travel agent, right? They sell you the actual airline ticket and then the airline company takes you from A to Z. So agents are like the travel agents. They're independent agents that sell uh, typically a number of different types of companies. So if you go to your local agency, let's let's give you a better example because most people know car insurance. They might offer you a Geico or an Allstate or a State Farm or a Progressive or whatever local companies are available. They price it, who's got the best customer service, who's got the best claims handling, et cetera, do your research. And then the actual company will sell you that policy, the Geico, the Progressive. That's what we do. So an agency is like a salesperson person that provides a lot of service. They're terrific people and, and companies, and they give you all the information. They compare prices across the company's service, what you're looking for, for your needs, and then the actual carriers who puts up the money. So if you have a fire and you're insured and it's covered and you have a $300,000 house, 
and it burns to the ground, God forbid, will pay you the 300000 not your agent. Your agent got a commission for selling it. They're there to answer questions. They're there to help you. They're there to get you the best deal. But they don't actually lay out the money, whereas the carrier, us, we actually do. That makes a lot of sense. That's really clear. I appreciate that. Now, Stacy, I was personally excited to have you on the podcast because I read that you were able to start an insurance company that was originally based off of an idea on a cocktail napkin into a $300 million company. That kind of growth screams that there's a story here. It almost sounds like a setup of a Matthew McConaughey movie. <laughs> exactly. And I look nothing like Matthew McConaughey, so luckily this is not a video podcast. <laughs> or people would know for sure that I look nothing like Matthew McConaughey, at least in his heyday, right? What right. we try to do is we, we, we tried to come up with an idea that was something that would set us up, that would make us money, but that also would help the community help people. Uh, it started off that I was at a bar, literally a, a cocktail bar in South Florida with a friend of mine who was an Allstate agent for about, I don't know, 15 or 16 or 17 years. And I had been an attorney for about 10 or 12 years at that time. Now I've been an attorney for 25 years. And he said, you know, there's all these insurance companies and they're out there making good money, real insurance companies. Why don't we start an insurance company? I mean, that's like saying, let's start an Amazon. Let's start Yamaha. Let's start, you know, anything like that. It sounds like a crazy idea, but I loved it. I said, you know what? That was just before people were really starting to do big ideas. You had Googles and you had YouTube, et cetera. But this was right in the early 2000s, just at the turn of the millennium. And we thought to ourselves, why not do have something that's a big idea? I will say, that when I meet a cocktail napkin, I mean, we were drinking. You know, they tell writers to write drunk and edit sober. And I'm pretty sure that's what we did. I mean, we said that by year three, we were going to have sold $60 million worth of insurance. And we had these great ideas. We wrote it on a cocktail napkin and the rest is history. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. We looked at ourselves and said, listen, I was a lawyer that sued insurance companies. So I knew the problems that were out there and I knew the mistakes they were making. And he was an insurance agent. So let's be honest, neither of us had millions of dollars in the bank to start an insurance company. So we took that cocktail napkin. We actually went back to his house. And over the course of the next four or five months, we actually wrote a business plan. We gave that business plan to some friends of ours who actually had money. They were Harvard MBAs and they kind of knew what, what was going on in the world of business. And they took it and it took them probably four days to stop laughing. And then they came back with us literally with a hundred questions. And I'm not exaggerating. I think they topped it off at a hundred questions because they didn't want our brains to explode, but 100 questions. They said, this is what we want to know if we're going to help you take this to the next level. That was our introduction from a cocktail napkin to a business plan. That's wild. So after you answer all those 100 questions, my brain is sitting here saying, okay, what did you know exactly what to do at the time? Like, did you get your hands on like an operator's manual from an insurance franchise that told you step by step what to do? What was the next step? It's a great question because there really is no instruction manual. It's like, kind of like being a parent or anything else. You know, there there are books and there are ideas, but there's real there's no real manual telling you what to do. I wish there was, and that's part of the problem. We did make mistakes, and when we were going through our numbers, we didn't have all the answers. So my business partner now at the time, his name is Clint. Clint decided to go with one of our friends who was one of the Harvard MBAs who was advising us and later became a partner and investor. They went to a conference of insurance companies and what we call reinsurance companies, companies that insure 
insurance companies, kind of the big money behind the insurance companies. And so they went and they said, listen, we are thinking of doing this. Here's our idea. What else do we need to know? And at that conference, they were able to make so many connections with people. This is the person you talk to. This is the woman that that knows how to do it in Florida. This is the guy who can get you the cheap reinsurance. This is a person who knows how to get you all the computers and the software and what you should do. And so while we didn't use all of their recommendations, we actually came away with a terrific amount of contacts directly directly in the industry so that even though we literally had no idea how to start an insurance company, we knew people who did. And that was the key. You don't have to know everything. I am not great with numbers. I'm not the CFO. I'm a lawyer. I deal in words. I deal in claims. I deal in litigation, things of that nature. And my partner at the time was able to figure out the, because he knew the agency, the sales, the marketing, the customer service, everything else we had to learn and we had to meet people. That makes sense. How much money did you and your partner have to invest in starting this thing up? At the time, he and I both put in about $10,000 each. I mean, that was it. We had to get, I think at the time you needed $5 million to start an insurance company in Florida. Let me say that again, $5 million. There are cars, you know, that cost more than that. There are certainly houses that cost more than that, probably within, you know, 10 miles of where you and I live, right? I mean, there are there are people who have $5 million houses. It's not unheard of in this country and certainly even vehicles and airplanes. That's all you needed to start an entire property company. So we raised a little more for seed capital and, and the, the state of Florida wanted you to have a little more of a cushion. So I believe we started with about $8 million. That was it. We went out to the, the two Harvard MBAs I refer to them at who had a little bit of money, they went out to maybe three or four of their friends who were in business and said, sure, we'll each throw in a million dollars or 500,000. They put up the rest. And Clint and I only put up 10,000 because frankly, while we had you know some money from being an, a lawyer and an insurance agent, we didn't have a million dollars at the time to throw in. And you know, certainly I was in my 30s at the time and that's what we had and that's where we went. So we asked other people for money. Also it was a check to see if our idea made sense, right? If someone's gonna give you 500,000 or a million or more, obviously your idea has some kind of sticking power. That's all we put in at the beginning was 10 grand. That's wild. So you and your partner, Clint, are out raising money. I'm curious, why didn't you guys take the franchise route? It seems like it was maybe an easier option to get into a system that was already working. For agencies, you can definitely do a franchise. For carriers, you could work with someone and maybe do a subsidiary of another company. Some of the larger companies would partner with you to offer a localized or a domestic company, but there was really no advantage. And what do I mean by that? Yes, if you have a big name like State Farm, it's easier to get customers. But frankly, in many things like insurance, it's really price and then ultimately service and a little bit of marketing, but it's price. So if, if I say to you, listen, State Farm, their policy is 2000, but Florida Peninsula's policy is 1,500. 2000 versus 1,500, that's 25% savings and 500 bucks in your pocket. Most people are gonna say, you know what, sounds good, but I'm gonna save the $500. So it's really, can you compete on price and can you compete if there's a claim on service? So you don't really need to partner up. That's really smart positioning. Now take us back to the very beginning. Do you remember what those startup pains were? Like what were the costs associated with setting up your business, like a physical location, rent, tech, salaries, stuff like that? It's very interesting way that we started. And now this is something that people that are listening to your podcast or are starting up their businesses could do and could look for. We didn't start by selling policies directly to individuals. What we did is we found out that the government, the state government has insurance policies nobody else wants. Some of them are bad policies, right? The roofs are caving in. And so someone's got to give them some kind of insurance and the state says, you know, fine, we'll do it. But other times, because you don't want every 
policy in the state because of the way that reinsurance works. So if you said, I'm going to sell insurance to everybody in Tampa Bay, I want every policy in West Florida. It won't work financially because if a storm hits it, it's going to destroy you. So you don't want no one carrier wants to sell everything. That's different, right? If you're selling toothbrushes, you want to sell everybody a toothbrush. It's not the same way if you're an insurance carrier. You want to sell some in Tampa, some in Miami, some in Tallahassee, some in the Panhandle, some near Disney World. You want to be spread out. You don't want to have your risk everywhere. The government has policies everywhere because sometimes they're bad policies, sometimes they're good. We went to the government in the state of Florida and we said, we want your policies. Other people had done it, but we went in and we took policies out that other people hadn't touched and we grabbed those policies. So the first day that we started, we had 25,000 customers at about $2,000 a piece in premium. So the day we started, the state of Florida gave us 25,000 customers and a check for approximately I'm using round numbers, $50 million. That's how we started. We didn't go out selling one piece, two piece, three piece. Hey, would you like a, a condo unit policy to cover you if there's a fire? Hey, would you like renter's insurance if your stuff is stolen? We didn't do that. We did that afterwards, but we were able to build up our base by going to the government and saying, we will take your policies. That's how we started. And so we didn't have to worry about a lot of the other startup problems that other people did. We did have some startup problems, which is that we had 25,000 customers and there were eight of us in the office. We found something that was already existing and took it instead of going sale by sale. That's a really strong power move. I read that one of the biggest challenges you guys faced was finding team members with specifically a corporate insurance background early on. Why was that so important? That's important because two things. One, we were taking policies from the government and they wanted to make sure that you had people with experience. We had the two Harvard MBAs. We had myself as a lawyer and an insurance agent, but we didn't have any what we call gray hairs. And I didn't have gray hairs in my early 30s. So we needed somebody that had some kind of gray hair. And number two, they're also licensing you, right? The most businesses now are licensed in some form or another. If you want to be a barber and open a salon, you got to be licensed. And while that's difficult, it's different if you want to open up an insurance company and you're going to take millions of people's dollars and then hopefully protect their home in the event of a catastrophe or a fire or a hurricane or what have you. They need to approve you. And that's very, very important. You've got to go through a background check. A lot of businesses, you don't go through a background check. We needed somebody who really had something to their name. And we found two individuals, my partners, Roger and Fran. And Roger had been the president of Prudential Property and Casualty up in New Jersey for a number of years. And Fran had been the chief financial officer of Aetna Personal Lines, which is about $2 billion. So we asked them, they were both 50s at the time. And so they qualified and they had the experience and they spoke the language of insurance perfectly. And so they joined on and they tweaked our business plan a little bit and they brought that kind of gray hair, that that knowledge to our youth and our energy, relative youth. And they allowed us to get through the state more easily because they're experienced and because of the, the names. So that's not necessarily advice, but it's something that we did that worked. You know, we were smart, we were hardworking, we were entrepreneurial, but we wanted people because it was an approval type business. We wanted people to jump on board that had experience, not only to help us, but also to make us look even better to the outside world, the customers, and of course, the Office of Insurance Regulation and the Department of Financial Services in the state of Florida. Okay. And was there a reason that you guys chose to set up shop in Florida? Because you guys could have done it anywhere, right? There are a lot of states you can do it in. I would say Florida makes it easy for a couple reasons. One is that the regulatory 
arena, I should say, is something that there's there's a lot of expertise. There's a lot of lawyers in Florida, a lot of regulatory people. So it's not like some of maybe the, you know, the, the Western states where it's not as computer oriented or sophisticated. They all are now. But back then, a lot of these other states weren't as sophisticated in terms of a lot of these insurance aspects. And number two, I happen to live in Florida at the time. I was a Florida a member of the Florida Bar. I still am. My business partner was in Florida and our two of our investors were in Florida, although some of our other investors were in Maryland, New York, and one in Massachusetts. We had people all over, but most of us were based in Florida. And number two, Florida's market was a problem. That's where we found that the government had policies people didn't want. That's where we found that small businesses or small carriers could compete because there is such hurricane risk. And because we are a peninsula and hurricanes and wildfires and hail, windstorms, they pass through all the time, along with the fact that you have people getting injured. There's a lot of liability issues down in Florida. It's a difficult marketplace. And because it's difficult, there's opportunity. A lot of people try to go for the easy route. And honestly, that's not where there's opportunity. Yeah, you know, there might have been some other areas we could have gone to. But in those areas, the regulatory scheme is even more difficult for startups. Where in Florida, they wanted to encourage people to get into it. That's really insightful. Let's go back to the beginning where it was just eight of you guys in a building dealing with all these different policies, right? Walk me through some of those startup pains. We probably had about a thousand or 1500 square feet in an office building. We had the six partners who started it and we had two employees, a financial bookkeeper and a receptionist who kind of did everything else. That's all we had when we started the company. The state said, until you guys are set up, we are going to handle the phone calls. So it gave us a year to get ready. What we did is we hired an outside company for a certain amount of dollars per policy. So let's say, like I said, a policy is $2,000, maybe for $15. And again, my numbers are, are older now, but maybe 15 or $16 per policy, they would answer the phones. They would send out the bill. They would put the money in our bank account. If there was a claim, they would route it to a claim company. So we didn't have to have people in-house doing that work. We started small because we outsourced. We had our salaries. The six of us were taking a small salary relatively at the beginning. We did bring on our ninth guy that we brought on was a chief technical officer because besides finance, you almost need to have a technical person, even if we're not in a computer startup business. Our ninth hire, which was really our third hire because six of them were, were us, that was a computer individual that really got us to the next step where we could take a lot of that in-house and over the next five years, really grow our, our technology. That's really smart. Let's talk about marketing for a minute. What was the marketing message you guys put forth to really stand out from the competition that made people say, yes, I need what you're selling? I think it was two things. One, we were taking policies from the government, but we were saying, look, when it renews, we're going to give you a better price. Price is always king. Don't underestimate price. And number two, we said, when you call the government, it's like the DMV. No offense to people who are at the DMV. How easy is it? It's not. It's difficult. We wanted to make it easier. So if you have a claim, if you have a problem, you call us, we get back to you directly. And we made sure that we staff both externally and internally to have really high customer service levels. As we started to compete against the state farms and the Allstate, some of the smaller ones, we did two things. One, we partnered with those companies. We said, hey, State Farm, hey, Allstate, hey, Florida Farm Bureau, hey, farmers, if you don't want those policies because they don't fit with you, how about letting your agents sell it through us? You keep a little over ride and you sell it through us. And we were able to do that. We said, you know, we're not going to punch the big kid on the block. We're going to go make friends with the big kid on the block and see if they'll give us, you know, when they shake somebody down, so to speak, are they going to give us a couple of the pennies? And they did. 
we really had something special. And so we were able to say that to all of the people out there that wanted to buy insurance, but more importantly, to agents. So we went to the independent agents. So not only do we partner with the big companies, we went to the independent agents and said, look, you need another home because there's always going to be a house that somebody doesn't want. And mostly what they didn't want at the time was houses by the ocean. Guess where we decided to specialize? houses by the ocean. So we took the policies, especially the government didn't want, and then we took policies other people didn't want. That made it easier for us to get it off the ground. Absolutely. There's a lot of power in partnering, and I love how you put that together. It made that work for your business. All right, we're nearing the end of the interview, but I wanted to ask you, are there any tools or books that you recommend that have really helped you on your journey? Well, I would tell people to buy your book because you certainly know what you're doing. You're a great person in this industry, and, and, and uh, I appreciate all the advice you've given me over the time. But I will tell you, other things that I've looked at, there were really good resources, some old school resources. I, you know, I start off by listening to people like Anthony Robbins, and I listened to some of the old sales gurus back in the day because right now I'm 51. And so when I was doing it and thinking of things, even when I was getting my law practice off the ground, I always felt it myself as a salesperson. At 51 years young, your hustle is legendary. I have to say that. Well, thank you. Thanks for your advice again over the time. And I appreciate everything. You know what? I, I never want to give up. I'm going to keep pushing this and, you know, got to exercise, got to exercise the brain. You got to exercise your business. You got to do something every single day that puts you outside your comfort zone and take a chance. So what's something that you're grateful for that's been a direct result of running your own business? One of the things that I really, really like, and I've said it before, is helping people. But that sounds so cliche. What we did is we appointed one of our employees as director of community affairs. And basically it's like director of charity charitable resources is what it ends up being. So we've done Habitat for Humanity. We've done veterans. We've done children's charities. We've delivered turkeys in certain neighborhoods that, that don't always have food for Thanksgiving. When there's a hurricane, even if it's not in our area, we will put water, we will put food, we will put clothing, and we will put it in a truck and take it where it has to go. You know, we're out there for people. So I love that on our website, we have photographs of our people who get out and actually help. The biggest thing I, I got from running my business is giving directly back to the community and not just money, but looking at someone's face. Literally, we have pictures on our website. We're handing the keys to a family for a new house or we're dropping off turkeys to people that won't have enough to eat for Thanksgiving. To me, that's what it's all about. That's beautiful. Building a business that makes a true impact. I respect it. So it looks like you built quite the business for yourself. And one question that we ask all of our guests is that if you had to start all over again from day one, what would be your number one smart tip for launching a successful business? That's a really good question. And trying to limit it to one is difficult. I don't know if this is so much a tip as a rule, which is know what you don't know and know what you know. Know what you are able to do, what your talent is. And if it's something else is not your talent, get a partner, outsource it. Don't waste your time trying to learn something that you're not motivated to learn. It's just a waste. That saves you so much time and really gets you on the path to success even faster. Powerful advice. Again, Stacy, thanks for taking the time to jump on the show and share what you know. Where can people go to learn more about what you're up to? What I'm starting is something called Everyone's Law School. The website's not active. It's going to be everyoneslawschool.com. I have the site, but I'm working on it. It will basically be classes that you'll be able to hear online that will teach lay people about the law. And hopefully they'll be out by July 1st. It'll be everyone's law school. That's amazing. And I'll be sure to go ahead and add all those links into the show notes over at startupsmarter.net. 
One last follow-up question for you. Do you still have that napkin? You know what? We don't have the napkin. We do have the first policy we ever sold. We have the declarations page framed in our office, but I don't have that content napkin. I, I wish I did. It wouldn't be valuable to anybody else. You know, it's not an autograph, but it would be valuable to me. So, you know what I tell people? Save, save whatever you're working on, because honestly, you will look back when you make it and you will make it and you'll look back and, and wish you had those memoirs. Awesome. Well, again, Stacy, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for having me. Great show. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mr. Stacy Giulianti from the award-winning insurance company, Lorda Peninsula Insurance. Some of my biggest takeaways from this episode was how he was able to validate his idea by raising money before they ever got started. He mentioned that he and his business partner only put in about $10,000 each into the business, but they needed to raise $5 million, which as any entrepreneur will tell you is quite the challenge at the beginning stages. However, because of how he and his partner was able to clearly articulate how their approach was going to be different than their competitors before asking for investor backing really made the difference. Also, I loved how they weren't shy about getting their idea validated by the market first. Oftentimes, a lot of people will approach their business idea and try to hide it and hold on to it, but they did it differently. What they were able to do is that they refined it and they found that it was way more powerful by doing that. And they did this by visiting trade shows and sharing the idea with their contacts first so that way they can go ahead and test it and see how it can be made better. They were able to raise not $5 million, but actually $8 million because of how their idea was so solid at the beginning. Lastly, one of the biggest takeaways that I had was how they partnered with existing agencies that didn't provide their particular service and how they added their unique service into their catalog of offerings. So that way, when their partners sold one of their services or one of their policies to a more established list of customers, it created a triple win effect. So Stacy's team wins by getting access to a bigger pool of customers. Their partner wins by getting a small commission on every sale while offering offloading the work to Stacy's team. And lastly, the customers win by receiving this brand new service that they previously didn't have access to before. Now, Stacy is an attorney by trade and he has a bunch of resources over at his website that will help you figure out what you need to know as a business owner. Using a quote directly from Stacy himself, you wanna spend more time doing the things that you love and let others help you in the areas where you're weak. For me, I'm personally weak in areas like accounting and the legal stuff. So if you're the same way, I highly recommend that you go over to his website and check out his legal resources. And as always, I'll go ahead and put a link to that over at startupsmarter.net forward slash podcast and leave it in the show notes. And you can check out again all those links by heading over to startupsmarter.net forward slash podcast and looking for episode 15. This episode has been lovingly edited and produced by our intern, Eric Mercado at Startup Smarter. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode number 15 of the Startup Smarter podcast. This is Joe Johnson signing off, and I'll see you in the next episode.